Hey guys, what's up? Welcome to another podcast. Uh, you're with Kieran and Alex. Hello. That's right. I've held up a little cue. He has to say hi when I tell him to say hi. <laughs> um, so yeah, welcome guys. Welcome guys back to episode four of Stand Clear of the Closing Doors. Hope you guys are enjoying some of the previous podcasts. If you haven't already subscribed, please do subscribe to the podcast so you know when new new episodes are coming out. Uh, we've got another fun-filled debate heavy news heavy everything heavy podcast today uh full of some topics of conversation that are a bit a little more deep and some topics of conversation that are a little less deep uh but we're going to start off with uh a alex's wild card q a worked really well last episode if you haven't checked it out go and check it out so we decided to reverse the roles this week and it is my turn to find some questions, which I found from Reddit, our favorite, our favorite source of questions, which I am going to ask Alex for the first time now. Alex, can you confirm you've never seen any of these questions? No. <laughs> As in, no, I, I can confirm that I have not seen any of these questions. Is your, ha- is your hand on your heart and your, and your other hand on a Bible? Why would yes, you say that? 100%. Okay. Cool. All right. Well, without further ado, without further ado, without further ado, what's that? Who says without further ado? Okay. Without further ado, uh, let's drop into the Q and A. So, the first question of the Q and A, Alex. Yeah. Is if your handwriting was a font, what would it be called? What would it be called? Sorry. Okay. I thought I had to pick one. I was going to say wingdings because it's <laughs> no, awful. No, so My handwriting is to... so bad. Um. Uh, something like uh i don't know you know like those letters in in films that the kind of in horror films or thrillers where the murderer writes something and it's all scrawly it'd be like right. that i don't know so so scary murderer handwriting scary, scary murderer <laughs> yeah i think that's, that's that would be quite good um but they all have really weird names don't they <clears throat> comic sans for the win yeah, exactly. Comic Sans, Helvetica, I don't know, Times. Oh, you're going to... La- so if... Uh, I'm not sure, if Alex, whether you've checked out or you guys listening, whether you've checked out this video, right? But um, so uh, you know SNL, right, Alex? Yeah, yeah. yeah. So uh, I'm not sure whether you've seen the, the SNL sketch where they talk around uh, the font papyrus and how it was used for Avatar. Oh. Have you seen no. it? Oh, my God. Like, after this podcast... If anyone hasn't seen that sketch, I highly recommend going on YouTube and searching SNL sketch uh, avatar. And basically, (laughs) obviously it's a comedy sketch and this one guy goes out to try and prove that they spent millions on on millions and millions of pounds on avatar, yet they decided to use papyrus as the font. (laughs) Trust me, it's one of the funniest videos you will come across. uh, And I guarantee you'll be on the floor laughing when, when you watch it. It's so funny. Got Ryan Gosling in it. Did not know that. What the sketch? Yeah, apparently. Uh I do, I, I can't remember in that much detail, but yeah, definitely watch it later. Um, you, you won't be disappointed, I guarantee. All right, that was a that was a pretty succinct answer to that question. Um, so I'll swiftly move on to the next one. <laughs> uh, this one is a little more deep, and maybe it will begin to give the audience, and maybe and actually me as well, uh, an insight into you, Alex, a deeper insight into you. I was going to so, say, I hope, I hope that last question does give an insight into me because I've just, my answer was 
scary murder handwriting. So you know. <laughs> but yeah, go on. They get they get more personal as we go along. Oh, God. So the second the second one is, what is a question you hope no one ever asks you? Is the next question going to be the question I'm about to tell you? Oh God, that's that's really hard because. Because the question itself might tell you too much. What's the question that no one ever asks? You know, that you one... hope no one ever asks you. Um, oh, that's, that's a really tough one. Um, so, because cause obviously there's, there's a ton of questions that no one ever wants to get asked. Uh, <laughs> Go for it. Like, you know, super personal things. Um... So things about like I don't even know. Um oh, I'm drawing a blank here. What would be a question I would never want to be asked? <laughs> God, this is hard. Yeah, Alex, can you shave your beard? Yeah, I guess I, I, I'm happy to well, be asked. You question. should answer no to that. No. Yeah. <laughs> I guess I guess that it would be any kind of question that would be um, a really really personal question about like um, your innermost thoughts. So I can't think of a well unless someone said unless someone literally asked what are your mo- innermost thoughts. Um, I'm, I'm I'm concerned. I'm 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 kind of backing up the whole murdery thing from a minute ago. It's it's time. To <laughs> But I guess no one, no one ever wants to their like innermost thoughts to be, um, to be out. I guess or to be questioned on them. So that, you can always lie. Like, that's true. Yeah. So I guess would there be any question that you would you'd ever not want to be asked because you can just not answer or lie? So let's say okay. So let's say you had been given truth serum. Oh God. Yeah. Uh, and then you were asked. I don't know what would be the question that you wouldn't want to be asked. And you say, you know, you say you, you know, you've injected or, you know, you've taken in truth serum, right? So you know that everything you say will be true. What would you not like to be asked? So, so basically I I have to, I have to now answer as though I had this, I'd taken this uh, truth serum. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> this could be so dark. Dude, I don't know. Like, it is genuinely difficult. Because there's the yeah. I think I think that that innermost while well, your most innermost thoughts or um, yeah. something like that would be probably the one. Because it, it's so, it's more about like um, like private thoughts or feelings yeah. you have and not sharing those. That's that's all it really is about, isn't it? So, I guess that. Yeah, like not that I have anything that's particularly scary or anything like that, but you know, everyone has a the odd moment when they kind of go. Ah, yeah, everyone has their skeletons in the don't they? <laughs> yeah, not literal ones. Just to reiterate, no mm. literal um, skeletons. <laughs> not that I, I don't even have a closet. My wardrobe is is about half a meter wide, so you know, it's the shirt. I think I think the uh, not saying that this is the question that I wouldn't want asked me, but I think a tough question that anyone could be asked if they've taken truth serum is have you kind of ever wanted to kill somebody? I think that's a really Ooh. deep thing. And I think, I think a lot of people, um, 
may I say a lot of people were over us so I think this is just my thought it's not my thought mm-hmm. <laughs> if if people were if people had truth serum and they were asked whether they would or have ever thought of considered killing someone wonder what people would say oh my god this is it's like hey everyone tune in this week when Alex and Kieran talk about Murdering people yeah. <laughs> and their thoughts about that's the yeah. We associate ourselves with associate ourselves yeah. with some sort of crime, and then um, Mr. Policeman listening to uh, listening to the podcast is like, who are these guys? That's uh... all right. So that's okay. So fair play. That was a, that was actually quite a tough question, and I don't think either one of us has a, a good answer to that question. Um, but yeah, if you guys have any suggestions. What, what, what question would you hope that no one ever asks you if you've taken truth serum? We'll add that as the uh, additional part of the question because I think, yeah, you could just lie or say no if someone asked you anything else. Um, all right, that's question two. So the final question is, we will get an insight. Your answer from this question, Alex, will give, you, will give us, me and the audience, an insight into you, but a really good insight into you and cool. something that, You'll be like, this is a great question, Kieran. I know it. <clears throat> so the question is, what's something you're proud of but never been able to talk about? Oh, that's a really cool question. But Reddit is full of mad things like this. It's awesome. Actually, as much as Reddit is full of as much as Reddit is full of crap and like crazy <laughs> people, there's some really, really good questions on Reddit. It's mostly full of cats yeah. and crazy <laughs> people and yeah, and lots and lots of Reddit in jokes. Um, ah, oh, that's that. I really, really like that question. Um, so you've got a chance here to make yourself look like a god. <laughs> I'm not going to make myself look like a god. use it wisely. It's, it's more of like a personal pride thing, right? That's that's what it's that's what it's, I guess it's about. Yeah. So, um, at least that's that's how the kind of stuff that I'm proud of doing. So, um, when I went to uni. I changed courses at uni and when I went into my second year, I was really demotivated by actually bothering to put in any effort of uh, um, getting a good grade. Cause I was just like, uh, well, I've, I've had to redo some stuff in, from first year um, because my first course was basically all a completely different course. Um, and it meant that I didn't get the best, like the grades I wanted to. Um, so I kind of went back from what did you change from two? So I was on a on a two two, um, and I didn't want. No, it, what, what course? What course did you change from? Oh, what were you so, doing? What course were you changing from to you? And what did you go to? So I did psychology, and I switched okay. to philosophy. So slightly oh, interesting. Yeah. So the uni I did it at psychology is quite like it's very much a science subject. Um, so okay. when you complete that course there, you can actually go into psychiatry. Um, but in the end, I kind of realized, you know what, actually, I just prefer um, philosophy. It's more fun, more interesting. Um, but because of the switch and then redoing loads of stuff, that was really easy because I did it at school as well. I didn't really bother yeah. trying very hard. And then before I knew it, I was kind of like on course for a 2-2 and it was all a bit near. And just it, it it wasn't it kind of compounded into I can't be bothered and now I'm getting bad grades so I'm not motivated to do any better. Um, and then in, in my final year, I decided you know what actually I really don't want to finish with that grade because I know I could do better. Um, yeah. But because it was always kind of like a 
Um, I should have just <laughs> been trying that hard uh, from the get go. It was never something yeah. I was like particularly openly proud about. I was really pleased that I had that kind of realization of, hang on a minute, um, if I just actually worked at this, I could do really well with it. So, yeah, that would be my my moment of. Uh, That's a good answer. It's yeah. an interesting. It's an interesting one though because sometimes, sometimes people will tell you to persevere. Um, and you know, if you're finding it difficult, persevere and you'll come out better at the other end. But sometimes it is also better to cut your losses and that that's a, you know, you can, that decision has to be made around in all different contexts. And when you're young and, you know, which you are at university, even when you leave university, you're still young and naive. That is a really hard decision to make um, because it's always that, oh, what if and all that kind of stuff. So, uh, yeah, that was a good shout. I like, I like that. Yeah. So, uh, so basically, um, just to explain, like when it was going from psychology, then into philosophy, then the grades went down, but still it was a big kind of decision because it was quite a way for the first year. And I was like, Oh, if I change now, I have to start from year one again. Yeah. I guess I'll just do that. But yeah, that's a fair shout. I think quite a lot of people like, especially around that age, it's, it seems everything's quite set out and you just have to do it that way. And it's like a, a right way of doing things. Yeah. Yeah. At university, everyone gets already thingy anyway, because you, cause you're paying so much money. Um, and that money thing doesn't, that money thing doesn't help because, you know, if you've started university and it isn't right for people, people mm-hmm. sometimes just go through it, go through the motions for the next two and a half years, three years, just so that they get a piece of paper at the end of it. Mm-hmm. And because it's, oh, you know, if, um, we've already invested this much money and, you know, all this kind of stuff. Um, so it's, it's, it's a, it's a brave decision for anyone to, to, to make, especially at that age and in that kind of stage of their career. So yeah, kudos to you. Thanks. Um, yeah. So one of the, one of the things I guess to, to elaborate on that question and just, a, I guess a pearl of wisdom that I wanted to share with you guys is at the, the first place I worked, we had a, an award ceremony. So it was like a yearly award ceremony at the uh, annual AGM um, just after the financial year end. And th- one of the awards that they gave out was for, it was a relatively small company, so kind of everyone knew everyone. And one of the awards they gave out was for best character. And hmm. it was kind of one of these awards where you, you kind of knew the type of people that would win that award. So it was like nice people and all this kind of stuff. And the guy, the guy who was presenting the, the award was one of the senior guys. And he gave this really great um, explanation of what character was. That's really stuck with me since. And he said, character is the things you do when no one else is paying attention or looking at you. So it's the things you do for other people, for your work, for your business, for your clients, for your customers that no one else ever sees. And that is, and that is character. That is, you know, um, being committed and showing you have um, a level of character that you, you care about what you do and you care about the people you work with. And that kind of explanation of what character is has really stuck with me since. Um, and I think it's a, yeah, it's a really powerful one. Wow, that's that's really that's I've gone really deep again, and we're we're like yeah. barely five, twenty minutes in. <laughs> I know. <laughs> I, I really like that. 
So have you ever um, read any of the Calvin and Hobbes comics? No, I'm not a big comics fan, you know. It's I, not, I don't. Yeah. It's, so it's not like a like a comic strip as in like a, sorry it's it's not like a comic book it's more it was um a comic that was in the new york times for a long time okay um, in the early 90s um by a guy called um Watterson. um what's his first name i think tim but basically it's a really really cool comic um and it's about a little boy called calvin and his toy um stuffed tiger hobbs um it's Bill Watterson, not Tim, that's it. Um and um he always and in that all the time the dad always says, like if when he makes him do chores, it always talks about building character. Um so that was my always kind of why I associated with it. But that that kind of definition's really cool. I like that. So who won the award? Um I'm not gonna name him, but the guy who won oh, it was right. definitely he was very he was very deserving. Uh he was the kind of guy that you if you ever needed help, whether he was busy or not, he would make time to help you. He would never, whether you were whether you were junior in the organization or senior in the organization, he would make time for you. And he, uh, and it's I think it's really important at an early stage in your career to have people or to work in in an environment where there are people like that because you really learn about what. And he was successful at his job as well. So he wasn't just he wasn't just the guy that helped everyone, but actually, you know, didn't do his job really. He was amazing at his job too. Mm-hmm. And it kind of really painted that image of me of you you don't have to be a you know a, a secluded dick basically to to be successful at work. You know, you can help others, you know, if if everyone's succeeding, if everyone's trying to improve everyone, in the end, everyone will succeed and the whole business will be better for it. Um, and it's one of those things where being surrounded by, he wasn't the only one like that. There were lots of people, um, like that, the organization really helped put into perspective for me, what makes a successful person in the kind of industry I, I, I'm in. Um, and so he was a, he was a really good role model. Uh, I never worked directly with him, but he was a really good role model and he, yeah, he just exemplified some of the things that. I've seen time and time, time and time again, you know, as I go through my career, when mm. I see the most successful people, I see a lot of those similar traits and similar uh, behaviors in those people. And so it's really painting a picture for me in terms of in my career, if I really want to be successful and, you know, do the things I want to do, those are the kind of things that I need to be doing more of and, and, you know, just taking advantage of. So, uh, they were really powerful role models and I, I urge anyone to, to, if there are people like that in the organization, learn from them, speak to them um, because those are the people that will be invaluable later on in your career when you're like, damn, I wish I spoke to that person because he's, he, you know, he would have empathized with my situation, knows what I wanted to achieve, all this kind of good stuff. So um, yeah, reach out to them. Nice. I like that. Wow. Cool. So that was a that was a very uh interesting QA. Um, yeah, I like that. Especially the last little bit. That was good. Yeah, it was cool, right? Uh it's it's one of those things, right, where we, we want to so many people do so many great things and we can't always just if we posted everything on Twitter that we did that we thought was amazing, people would think you're obnoxious. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but uh, you know, everyone's done things that they're proud of. Uh, 
then it's just about you know sharing those and you know thinking about the positives in people which is all good so uh yeah that's the q a for for this episode guys if you have any questions that you would like us to answer if you would like our opinion on anything or anything that you know you think you'd want to hear us talk about please do let us know there's a, there will be an email address below in the description so please do get in contact with us um so alex the next thing mm-hmm. that i wanted to talk about probably more to you and to the audience because <laughs> uh, it's a it's a real passion area of mine we're talking about football and yeah for any american people listening we're talking about soccer here not american football um we're talking about soccer football and we're in particular talking about one player from my favorite team from liverpool mm-hmm. and we are talking about mohammed salah do you know who mohammed salah is alex so I know the name. <laughs> so just as a quick heads up, I literally, I know nothing about football. Um, yeah. Well, I know bits, but I don't follow football. Um, I'm not like disinterested in it. Um, I just don't take an active interest. Um, so if anyone ever starts talking about football around me, I'm normally a bit out of my depth. But I do know this name. Um, yeah. So you you probably would have heard his name most probably in the last about 10 months and i think a lot of people in the uk who are you know not diehard football fans probably have heard his name more in the last 10 months than they ever have ever before in uh, their life and so Mo Salah, Mohamed Salah um so far this season for liverpool has 36 goals and 10 assists in all competitions for liverpool um which has put him i think he has 27 I think 27 Premier League goals. So he's he's in the running for the Golden Boot. He is the top scorer in the Premier League at the moment. Mm. He has won two Premier League Players of the Month awards um, for this season so far, still with uh, two months remaining, which he could very likely uh, pick up more Player of the Month awards. And Liverpool are in the quarterfinals of the Champions League, and he will be a key part of trying to push Liverpool through to the semis and hopefully a final, mm-hmm. fingers crossed. Um, so Mo Salah is um, someone who's kind of been around quite a few clubs and this is actually his second stint in England playing for an English team um, so he started off his career at, at a club called I'm going to butcher this name so badly El <laughs> Mokawaloon I think that's how you say it, in Egypt which is where Mo Salah is from mm-hmm. um, from El Mokawaloon uh, he then transferred over to Europe and he played for Basel in Switzerland. Okay. Um, that is really where he made his mark on the European scene. Uh, he had some really amazing performances in Champions League games, which caught the eye of Chelsea. Chelsea, big spending Chelsea, Roman Abramovich, Chelsea decided to buy Mohamed Salah from Basel. And for whatever reason, Lots of different, I'm sure there's lots, it's the combination of lots of different reasons. Things didn't really work out for him at Chelsea. He didn't, you know, create the impact that he did at Basel and he wasn't, he didn't look a shade of the player he was previously. So he then went out on loan to a couple of Italian clubs, so Fiorentina and Roma. Uh, He then went on to sign a permanent deal at Roma. Mm-hmm. And in the summer of last year, for around £39 million, he signed for Liverpool. And it's since his signature with Liverpool last summer 
that he's really kicked on and become one of the, well, in my opinion, the best player in the Premier League this season. And has been there's been some strange comparisons between him and Messi and his form this year has just got everyone very excited about him. Um, and he's looking forward to taking Egypt to the World Cup, I think for the nice. first time in, I think, eight years or maybe even longer. So he is their talisman. And um, so he has really kind of revitalized the Liverpool team that needed revitalizing uh, after the sale of Luis Suarez. And we needed a new superstar and he is our new superstar. Um, without going into like loads of detail around Mohamed Salah's, Mohamed Salah's <laughs> stats, the reason, I'm, the reason I'm talking about Mohamed Salah is because of what he's done for the image of Muslims in the Premier League mm-hmm. and the fact that he has been so successful breaking some of the stereotypes which we have seen <clears throat> which we have seen um, you know far too much of in football across the 80s and 90s and you know even carrying on to the noughties and the and the teens um, racism and Islamophobia Semitism all, all this kind of stuff has been rife in football for many years and a player like Mo Salah who is you know, every every team and every fan in, in the country will, will tell you he's a great player. You know, no one no one can really um, doubt that now. But he's mm-hmm. what he's done by his performances on the pitch is that he's got people away from talking about. You know, this guy's a he's a he's a Muslim player. He he prays after he scores every goal on the pitch and all this kind of stuff. And he he is really leading the charge currently in changing that perception of. Um, I guess Islam really in the, in the UK and, and having someone as a figurehead like that is really important um, in terms of, in terms of breaking stereotypes. So there's a chant and I'm not going to sing the chant, but um, <laughs> there's a, there's a chant and it goes something along the lines of um, uh, if Mo Salah's in a mosque, I'll be there too, or something like it's something along the lines of that. Uh, and just, just if you go back like 20 years, having English football fans sing that is just, was just unheard of. Mm-hmm. Um, and players like Mo Salah, and, and there are others in the Premier League. So Paul Pogba, for example, who is the, I think he's the second or third highest uh, transfer, uh, that his transfer fee was like the third highest place for Manchester United. Um, players like Riyad Mahrez, who won the, the Premier League with Leicester a couple of years ago. These are all Muslim players who are playing at the top level in the top leagues and are international superstars. Um, and they are really kind of leading that forefront. They're at the forefront, sorry, of that change in the way people are, are viewing Muslims and are viewing Islam. Mm-hmm. So I think we have a lot more to do in in terms of changing the stereotype around around. Muslims and the narrative that we see a lot played in the media. Mm-hmm. But I think these sports guys have a huge role to play in um, in actually just championing that. Uh, and the way they champion that is not necessarily by speaking out about things, but, you know, just performing on performing their job, performing on the pitch. Uh, and that gets people talking about that rather than anything else. So um, why do you think it's taken so long for um, for a Muslim footballer to kind of come along? Um, well, at least like for it to, so obviously it's, he's known for that as well. Um, and he's helping kind of, yeah, like you said, kind of, um, get rid of some stereotypes, but, um, why do you think it's taken so long for that to kind of come about? 
So he isn't. So he hasn't. So he's definitely. He's definitely not the first Muslim player in the Premier League. There have been many for a long time now, mm-hmm. and I don't think any of them have been as successful in terms of footballing success as he has um, this season. And I think that is a, a big reason why uh, he is kind of has taken on this role of championing this this change in the way. Um, Muslims are viewed and talked about. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that his performances on the pitch are, are a big part of that. And also he's very much, um, you know, just even basic things like his name is Muhammad. Like I think Muhammad's one of the most, it's definitely in the top 10 of most popular names in the entire world. Isn't it the and most common? I, I wouldn't be surprised if it is the most common, um, but literally just things like that. And he's got, you know, without sounding like too crude, really, he kind of fits the stereotype of, of people that basically if he wasn't playing football, people would, people would stereotype him with that negative stereotype. Um, so he is, he is someone who is himself, you know, he, he knows who he is and all this kind of stuff, but he's because of his position in football and his success on the pitch, he's really changing that perception, which I think is really powerful um, and I hope that he goes on to, to you know, a lot of success at Liverpool. Just one because Liverpool will then be successful, and I'll be happy. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, I, I kind of just wanted to bring it up because he has him him actually. It's not just him. Him and the other kind of big players in the Premier League who are who are um, who are Muslim are really kind of making making. People can take this how people may take this in the wrong way, but they're kind of making Muslims seem cool, mm-hmm. um, and that is a really good way to to change a stereotype or the way people think about things is to make something cool. Um, a, a kind of a left field example of that is so Drake's video for God's Plan, right? Mm-hmm. Where he, I think, the record label gave him record label gave him a million dollars to go and make a music video for God's Plan him and his team decided to use that million dollars to give to charities, families, and all of that in America. And I read a, I read a Twitter post. Uh, can't remember who it's by, but they basically said that, yes, what Drake did in terms of giving the money was important, but what he did more importantly was make it cool to give money to charity and give money to others and give to others. And that thing around making things cool is actually a really important part in how we change things in society. Mm-hmm. Um, so, so these football players, you know, appearing cool, like, you know, Paul Pogba, for example, is a very outlandish player who, you know, he's dancing all the time, his hair's different colors, all this kind of stuff. Yet he's still, he's still posting pictures of him doing, him doing his pro- pilgrimage to Mecca, um, you know, reading the Quran, Muhammad Salah's doing a similar kind of thing. You know, these guys are making it cool mm-hmm. to be, um, to be Muslim, really, and that is a, a really, a really big step in terms of changing the stereotypes that we we so often get played by by the media. And um, do you think that, um, that like football as a channel is a particularly good way of getting to an audience that potentially wouldn't norm? Be careful how I phrase this, but potentially not wouldn't be as um, I don't know. Yeah. It just makes it it makes it more open to a bigger audience um, than maybe some other Muslims who are doing other things that are great achievements, but yeah, just 
part I don't play football, so because it's so, so many people. Me. Yeah, so many people see footballers as role models, mm-hmm. and if you have these, if you have these, you know, young children with Mohamed Salah on the back of their shirt, they know Mohamed Salah for his goal scoring and amazing play at Liverpool. They don't know him as the Muslim man that plays for Liverpool. And that is a that is a, a big difference which we haven't seen as much. We haven't really seen properly in football for a while. And I think football has that that audience that is so large that it can be if it can be influenced in the right way, it can it can actually provide loads of really positive change. Um, football fans, are, you know, raise huge amounts of money for charities all across the world, um, all the time. And football fans, you know, the ones who go to the games, the ones who who watch at home, they're all. It's a crazy community, and sports communities are are diehard in their uh, in their beliefs mm-hmm. and diehard in their kind of their values for for a particular club or for a particular player. So these guys are. Um, by guys, I mean guys and women, but they are very, they're a very powerful audience that have a lot of say because just because of the sheer volume of them. And, uh, so yeah, I think they can really help enact positive change in society. Um, so yeah, I think, I think the fans have a really big part to play and it's great to hear all this kind of stuff. Um, uh, you know, coming out that players are supporting all the Muslim players in the Premier League getting, you know, just encouraging them to be themselves. I think you said something quite important there as well about the fact that he's first and foremost, a, a very good footballer. Um, yeah. In terms of how people perceive him, obviously personally, how he sees himself, I'm sure um, he, he's got his own perception of himself and what he is first and foremost, but in terms of how people see him publicly, they see him as a good footballer. Um, yeah. And, and, therefore respect him but also he's um he's a muslim and it's kind of creating a really positive role model for mm. especially in the uk as well because obviously there's a lot of um well there's a lot of muslims in the uk as well but you it just i guess it does islam doesn't get as much of that really positive kind of exposure obviously it, islam generally has had um really negative press over the last few years recent years i say recent years like yeah 20 years or so it's nice to see some really positive things because it's very yeah. easy to start associating negative things only because of what you hear in the media to then see someone like that be a positive role model um it's really cool actually um and yeah, you're right so i think you're right been... yeah they have to you do have to make them cool right um or not make them. It's not like someone made him cool. He is. He is who he is. But yeah. it's a really good thing that he is. That it's become a. He's he's become popular, um, which essentially is what kind of being cool is, right? Um, yeah, the popular kids. <laughs> yeah, but um, no, I like that, that brings back some bad, bad memories from school. By the way, <laughs> I wasn't I wasn't one of the popular kids. Oh no. <laughs> Anyways, I don't want to don't want to pity me, but yeah, I just kind of wanted to touch on that point because I think it was really important. One because I like talking about football, and two because he he and the other kind of big big players in, in the Premier League who are Muslim are really kind of leading that change in shift in mentality and perception of of Muslims, mm. um, which I think is really important and I think something that we should touch on because 
it is probably not something many people will talk about, but it's really important. And uh, these guys are doing these guys are doing something great. Um, and I think it's our responsibility, right? So if someone's doing something great, if we can use this platform to to celebrate those people, then that's one hundred percent what we should do. So Ooh. yeah, big up Mo Salah and the other guys um, doing good things in the Premier League, banging in the goals, uh, but also being good role models. Uh, and yeah, and talking about role models, check this segue. <laughs> <laughs> talking about role models, uh, I want to talk about something else um, which me and Alex have discussed briefly in the past, um, actually briefly in, in some of the podcasts we've touched on it, but we're going to try and go into a little bit more detail about it today. Um, and a role model is uh, of a girl called Naomi Wadler. Have you heard this name, Alex? No. So Naomi Wadler was uh, a, a young girl who gave a speech just this weekend gone at the March for Our Lives um, protest, which happened all across America. Mm-hmm. And she gave a, a really powerful message. I think, I think she's in, she's in her, she's in her teens. I don't know her exact age, but she's in her teens. So she's still a young girl doing a speech in front of thousands and thousands of people. And she did a great speech on, um, kind of bringing visibility to the people who get, who are victims of, of gun crime. Um, but who don't get, you know, who don't get put on the front of newspapers because the media in the US don't care about, you know, young African um, girls or young Africans who are who were shot and murdered by firearms. Um, and she was a really great role model mm-hmm. um, for for a lot of younger um, younger people across America who who don't agree with uh, who don't agree with all the gun control and everything that's happening there and. It was really powerful. Um, I'm not sure if you've seen much of the coverage of March for Our Lives, but that it was it was it astounded me how many cho- or maybe, maybe it was just the media posting these images, but the amount of children that were at the protest was scary. Um, when you have kids protesting that they don't want to have guns, or that you know they don't want to live in a world or live in a country where guns are so readily available, that's crazy. Yeah. Yeah. So, yeah, I mean, it's it's a bizarre thing. Anyway, I'm guessing it got all got triggered because of the school shootings and all the discussions about gun crime kind of resurfacing yeah. as a result of that. Um, but it's nice to see some more kind of active action. Um, yeah. I mean, obviously action by definition is active. But... Um, <laughs> But, you know, it's not just people sitting at home um, posting on forums or um, just kind of chatting on social media or some trending hashtag or, and I'm sorry I sound like a cynic with this, but yeah, the, the trending hashtag stuff. And do you remember, do you remember when um, there was the Charlie Hebdo um, attack in France and everyone's um, yeah. profile pictures changed to like the, the French flag and it was just like, oh, is that really helping? <laughs> is that now just become a fad to now be part of that cause. So now I'm going to be part of it. Yeah. The same with the, like, do you remember the, um, live strong bands? And it was just like a fashion statement to have one rather than I had those. Yeah. Well, I remember I made my dad, I made my dad go out and like search the scour the stores <laughs> to find the live strong bands. And like, <laughs> we can get into a whole thing of whether, so I, I had one as well, as did everyone else our age, um, at the time. Um, and, 
there's a whole kind of conversation over you know did that actually help because it helped with the visibility and it made or made people more aware um or was it just a, a fashion thing because i didn't know what it was about until years after i literally just got yeah um I, people just started wearing them and i, I ended up getting one and it just became a, a popular thing and then there were tons and tons of rip-off ones which had no cause behind them they were just a popular band to wear um and it just did become a fashion thing um but it to get back to the point, like seeing these kids um, going out and protesting or being supported by their parents to do that, because obviously the parents, when, when they are yeah. kids, like they have to be there and supportive to do that is is amazing. And, um, you know, you might get people who who would say, oh, you know what, it's just their parents encouraging them and they're, they're just going out and doing this because that's what their parents believe and stuff. But part of me really, really wants to believe that these kids actually, they, they they are intelligent enough to know for themselves that it is something that they think is wrong. Um, and I think it's, it's such a, it's a fairly, especially at that age, obvious moral kind of decision to, to say, you know what, this is a stupid thing. Why, why is this happening? And questioning that because kids will ask that question. They, yeah. they won't see, kind of they won't make it so complex and complicated they will literally just go well it's wrong why why are people dying because of this and i love that that's happening in fact i'm, I'm quite i think maybe it's just because i'm getting older and more aware of it but I'm, I'm glad to see more and more younger people going out there and doing something and i'm saying all of this <laughs> and i'm not i'm i haven't been out and, and done anything you know the, about brexit and stuff like that you know when there's a lot of demonstrations that would have been really good to, to support. Yeah. But um, equally, I, I do think it's really important. Um, so I should probably put my money where my mouth is and actually go and do something like that. Uh, maybe that's something we should do as a result of this, get involved in, in something. Yeah, why not? There's there's so many causes around the world that, that need people to, to just, you know, start acting. Um, and action is the best form of getting things done. Um, and I think maybe we, maybe we think that maybe we live in a society now that we think action is posting a tweet with a hashtag related to it. Maybe we think that is action. I don't know, but, um, just quickly, just quickly coming back to the point you're making around the point we were making, sorry, around the children protest, children kind of, I wouldn't say protesting, but you know, making their feelings heard. Um, so there was a, uh, there was a, a quote or an interview with a gentleman called Rick Santorum. Mm-hmm. He is the former, uh, GOP Senator. Don't know what GOP stands for. I'm not really good with American politics, but he was on, um, I think CNN yesterday and he made a quote or he implied that these kids who are protesting will be better, will be better served taking CPR classes rather than protesting for better gun control. And when you hear that kind of stuff, it makes you like a skin crawl. And it's like, what this yeah. guy's this guy's twi- this guy's Twitter bio is grateful husband, blessed dad of eight, right? Mm-hmm. If you're a blessed dad of eight, guns harm your kids. Like, w- w- is that what he's saying to his kids? Don't you know? If someone's talking about guns, don't worry about that. Go and learn about CPR. You know, like what 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 is what is what kind of rhetoric are these idiots coming out with that 
I, it just doesn't make any sense. It's like as soon as this stuff is posted or, or, or leaked, it's so obvious to see what they're saying is ridiculous. Like, how does it not? How does two and two not make four in their head? Um, it's just, it's just like it's, it's crazy, and it, you know, it's not just him. Uh, I'm going to go on a little rant here around this stupid Donald Trump. Go on, I'll uh, I'll jump in in a minute as well. (laughs) He's just a, he's just a, like, what the hell, man? Like, today we had some more, we had some more things come out around his potential hoo-ha with a porn star. Um, I'm not sure if you've read any of the articles around it, but it's some weird stuff, right? So, like, apparently, just touching on this story quickly, the porn star story, he, (laughs) um, uh, he apparently said uh, to, I think her name's Stormy, that's her like porn name. Um, he said to her, oh, you remind me of Ivanka, which is like messed up your next level. Like that's yep. just so weird. Um, and yeah, apparently he, he did, he allegedly did what he did, um, I think a year after he married Melania. Mm-hmm. So obviously, you know, that's the whole thing. But just the fact that, you know, this kind of stuff is, this kind of stuff is in the papers and the whole, you know, grabbing by the pussy thing came out and all that kind of stuff. Like, for most presidents, well, not most, pretty much every other president, your position would become untenable if there were this level of controversy around every single thing, whether it be Russia collusion, whether it be saying inappropriate things, whether it be doing inappropriate things, whether it be, you know, just being ignorant to to, to what's going on in the world, create, suggesting stupid things like let's arm teachers in, in, in schools and, you know, this is this kind of this kind of rhetoric is it's just so stupid and the fact that it's coming from a, a person who is in charges in charge of basically the leader of the free world like the, the fact that it's coming from from someone like that is is ridiculous really and, saying, isn't um, it? <laughs> on his on his twitter feed for example there was nothing around the march for our lives um uh campaign no acknowledgement of it no backing of it no even not even a these guys are wasting their time. Not even a response, even a negative response. There was just no response. Um, and yet he was, yet when the um, the hostage attack, which took place in France, um, on, happened on Friday, he was straight on the bandwagon around pushing his, his, um, uh, his agenda around, oh, it's a, you know, we should do more around border control because it was a, it was someone, you know, claiming that they were part of ISIS and, and, and Daesh and, that's why you know it was very quick to to push that rhetoric, but but anything else which supports either a different opinion or an opinion that um, basically is different from his stupid opinion is is it's just not um, he doesn't even you know give it the time of day yeah which which as a which as a person as a politician is one of the the most important things that you you listen to your entire party you listen to the people that voted for you you listen to the you know your party your your the the general public you know the people that gave you what you have today and you try and incorporate and you do as many things to, to please as many people as possible but it just doesn't seem to be doesn't seem he's doing that it just seems like he's he's pushing his own agenda not and you see all these issues that he has with the republic with his own party with the republicans mm. around getting things pushed through he, he's not thinking about anyone other than himself uh, and for someone in that position of power, that is a very dangerous thing um, to do. Uh, and it's just, it's it's often just infuriating, just reading and, and hearing about this. And I know people, 
won't stop reporting on it because it's a good headline. It's a it's a catchy headline, you know, all this kind of good stuff. But it it honestly just like what they like, just what I think. I think I, I yeah, I know what you mean. It's it's not like uh, well to me personally, and I think to some other people as well. Um, he just seems like a, a horrible, horrible human being. But um, and obviously that's subjective, but still. Um, but I think that's a really interesting point um, about he's obviously just looking after his own agenda, um, and he he's he doesn't really care for what's happening with the people involved. Um, yeah. And I wonder whether that's a bit of a reflection on the mood of the country in having elected someone like that. There's a lot of mm. like fear still nowadays. Um, and when that happens, people become more and more kind of, I guess, selfish or they look like they'd, they'd like look after their own things or their own yeah. or their own people in inverted commas. Um, and maybe that's the kind of mood that brought that kind of meant that a leader like that was elected that so clearly is, even in like his presidency trying to be a, a kind of, it's like, it's like he sees it as a business rather than, and and don't get me wrong. I'm not saying business leaders necessarily are people who don't care after the, don't care about the people. Um, but he just kind of, he, I think he just, he's got a very cold perspective on things. So yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna go on a, on a tangent here, and this is I'm we should just call this the Alex's Obama like fanboy podcast um, <laughs> because Alex's fan club. It's terrible. Like I don't think I've really realised until we started talking about it how much I actually really I just really respect him. Don't actually know everything about him. I've not read any books about him or anything like that. But it's just every like appearance I see in the things that you hear about his his point of view and the statements that are made um, just make yeah. me really like the guy. And he actually tweeted a tweet. Um, so he, he, and about this, so about um, the March for our lives protests. And he, he just said, um, Michelle and I are so inspired by all the young people who made today's marches happen. Keep at it. You're leading us forward. Nothing can stand in the way of a million voices calling for change. And it's one of those, yeah, I just read that and thought, you know what? That's, that's really nice. I don't know. I, I, I'm sure that maybe he does have some kind of reasons for, or motivations for posting that. But I do think they are, yeah. they are very genuine motivations um, for wanting to. I wish, I wish he, I wish he realised he wasn't. I really wish he. So that's a very presidential tweet. Yeah. Um, I wish he like just was like off the rails and was like, nah, forget this. I'm not president anymore. I don't have any responsibilities to the White House anymore. I'm going to tweet what I really think about this. <laughs> but I think <laughs> I love to, to see what he would he would really type. That that would be really interesting. But I think it's also important that he doesn't he doesn't get to a point when he ends up getting into like a, a where Trump will start directly tweeting back and saying all sorts of yes, and it turns into yeah, a really childish kind of kind of. Uh, but that's why he tried with Hillary, right? And it kind of it worked, really, didn't it? Yeah. And it's just, it makes it often that kind of conversation just makes the, the person who might actually be more intelligent or more reasonable person look stupid because of how it, how it can come out. Um, even though I don't think that's really possible with Trump, but anyway, um, but it's, it's a real shame. I think you, you're right. I think that the, the kind of what they're trying to achieve 
or what they're kind of, I guess what's their, um, ah, oh, what's the right word, but like what's, what's in their heart? What the, what are they trying to do? It's, it's not anywhere near yeah. as good. So, um, I actually started watching, um, a film, which I didn't finish that, uh, Kieran recommended called the final year. Is that right? Uh, did you actually start watching? I, started watching I think I've told you to watch it like five times. No, right. Um, <laughs> And um, I've, I've watched most of it, but what you can see from that administration is they're all people who really want to change the world for for the better. Um, yeah. And there's a lady in it called Samantha Powers, I think that's her name, who yes. is literally, she's absolutely amazing. And I, I couldn't believe I'd never heard of her before. But this lady, she used to be a Harvard professor. She used to do um, some journalism as well, where she actually went to these, um, to basically the, the actual sites where we're, as a lot of journalists journalists do, um, where the events are happening, but she carried on taking that approach when she joined the um, the administration, and um, some of the footage in that is really it kind of made me think. Oh my god, I don't think I could do that job. I think I'd, I'd just come home every night and just cry because <laughs> the stuff yeah. they see. Um, so one of the one of the scenes in the in the film is her going to Nigeria to visit these um, women whose um, either their husbands and, and sons got um, uh, taken by Boko Haram or their daughters yep. were kidnapped. And it was just really, really emotionally intense because she's just fly- she f- she's flown out there, she's meeting these people, and she's really kind of, they're, they're trying to tell her their plight and like how difficult things are and, and they feel so helpless and powerless. And all yeah. all this this uh, all that this uh, Samantha Powers lady wants to do is like is she wants to help obviously but it's it's mm. really difficult but you can tell it tell from looking at her reaction um, every part of her wants to get involved and then try and do something obviously they are doing something but it, it just takes a longer time it's not that like they can do something immediate but the moment that did it for me was one of the ladies went up up to um, um, Samantha Powers and just said to her. This is, and then she said the girl's name, um, and she she said like she is your daughter now as well, or something like that, and just to kind of you know, like it was very important to them that she felt part of, yeah, um, part of it. It wasn't like a hey, you're a powerful woman from the USA, go and do something. It was like you bringing her in and really making her realize like the what they were going through. Um, I think one of the things that I one of the things that I picked up from from that. That especially I, I know which scene you're talking about mm. is that I, I didn't I didn't I didn't quite realize how much um kind of the role of foreign secretary how much the role of you know countries like America and ours in the UK play in that international space because you kind of like well you think well what what could America do for example to to get those get those people's children back but it never kind of dawned on me that America has that influence that those relationships that can actually do that and so and so foreign aid and an investment in 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 the foreign office really is actually really powerful and i I never really i don't think i ever really appreciated that properly until seeing that uh, seeing those parts of that documentary um so yeah and i think i think one of the another point that i i want to make and get your thoughts on alex is I think we've forgotten, especially in the Western world, that that politics is a people game. I think we've forgotten that fact. 
that it is around the government is formed as a, is and politics is there to serve people and it's not to to serve any agenda whether it be a personal agenda or a party agenda a you know a group of individuals a, a, a coalition's agenda it's there to serve the people uh, and I think we often well it's, it's often especially in more recent times that fact being forgotten um, and things are being done to push a agenda whatever that agenda may be and and we and governments around the world including ours here in the UK are forgetting that um, it is a people game uh, and that people are ultimately the start end and middle of everything to do with politics yeah. um, and I think it's something that we could probably do with a good culture shock and a good reality check on and, and remember in reminding ourselves that um, that politics is a people game. I think, yeah, I think maybe that's part of the reason why so many people are so disillusioned with it because they just think, obviously in the UK, um, the kind of, the point's been made quite a few times about politicians being so removed from the actual people. Um, you know, how, yeah. how how can they make decisions about, but the make things they make decisions about when, when they have no clue? Um, and it's kind of in line with that, right? It's, I think in, I think that what's going on in the states is is it's more depressing though it's more um it's it's worse basically I think because it's not just it's not the fact that um people are detached from it I think it's because actually that the f- complete focus by the sounds of it is just not on on the people at all it's about mm. the political game it's about um having the power and it's about using that power to kind of um to basically push your own agenda and that's that's what it comes yeah. the way it comes across and that's what I was basically that's how I started and how I got onto the whole the um whole the final year film. Um because in throughout that and obviously it's it's filmed to give a good impression, but throughout that it seems to be we we are all about wanting to help people. Um so no I, I think you're right. It's Probably moved a bit too far away from that, unfortunately, these these days. God, we sound like a couple yeah. of old men, don't we? Oh, yeah, yeah, I know. The way the world is, you know, those days. those <laughs> those things of you know, you get those middle aged men who just who just all they do is discuss how they can how they're going to solve all of the world's problems. Yeah, they're going to set the world to work, uh, right? <laughs> we're just we're just start we're just starting early, you know. We're gonna we're gonna be practicing when we get to mid, when we get middle aged and we have these conversations. We will be. We will be well rehearsed in our arguments. We will have our debates there. We'll have our points for, points against. Um, but ju- just, um, I think a final thought for this podcast, I think would be a kind of a good way to, to wrap to wrap this one up. And because uh, we're talking about people, I want to specifically talk about one person. Uh, it's a person that most of us won't have heard of before. And most of us will probably stop hearing his name in about two, three days time when all of these um, articles go out of the news, but it, the the name of the gentleman is Arno Beltram. May have seen that, may have said that name incorrectly, pronounced it incorrectly. Um, he is a French police officer who was involved in the hostage situation which happened in France this Friday, gone on the twenty third of March, and uh, Arno has been mentioned um, and kind of. Um, has, has been in the news because he swapped places with uh, one of the hostages 
and was shot and stabbed in that process of, of, of swapping with a hostage. That Arno in that in that moment decided to make a make a choice to risk and basically give up his life in exchange for a complete stranger. And when we think about people, when we think about day-to-day life, actions like that, yes, obviously this is a an extreme situation where someone's life actually had to be taken, but there are many people around the world today already making heroic decisions and actions on all sorts of things on a day-to-day basis. And I think we should never, ever lose sight of the the good that humans are and humans and people are doing in the world, whether it be starting a podcast to talk about issues that they're passionate about, whether it be going out and protesting, whether it be exchanging exchanging situations with a hostage. All of these, these great acts are helping all of us move forward and, and, and improving the lives of every single one of us in the entire world. So we need to do more to celebrate people like Arno and celebrate people who are trying to push us forward. People like Naomi, who we spoke about earlier, mm. who are trying to, to to improve the world we live in and make it, make it a better place. And I think there's not enough we can do to celebrate people like that. These people are risking everything they have. It doesn't have to be their life. It can be their reputation. It can be, um, you know, risk the the wrath of their parents that the kids are going to go out to this protest. You know, these kids have made that choice that this is what they feel strongly about, and we should commend that at every single every single stage. And I think if we do that, then we the world we live in will be such a better place. And um, yeah, so I just wanted to to speak about Arno because in about two days time, once all the French hostage stuff is out of the news, his name will disappear into the realms of the archives. Um, so if his name stays here on this podcast for however many years we have this podcast, then could, that's a good way to, to keep his name. Nice. Let's leave it on that, Alex. I think, I think that's a, nice a very good to note to leave it on. Nice. Yeah. So uh, thank you guys for, for listening. Um, I didn't, I didn't think I wanted this one to be so deep. I think definitely <laughs> we should do another podcast where it's less deep, but it seems like everything, it seems like there's just so much crap going on in the world. We need to talk about something serious every all the time. But, um, but yeah, I hope you guys enjoyed the podcast. Um, Alex, did you enjoy this? One? I very much enjoyed it. <laughs> awesome. So uh, yeah, thank you guys for listening. Please do subscribe and leave us a review. Um, if you have any feedback from us, please do leave that in the review. We're always looking to to change, improve, um, get better at, at what we're talking about, how we're talking about it. So please do, please do give us some feedback if you have any. And yeah, thank you very much for listening. And we'll catch you in the next episode. Thank you, guys. Thank you.